Good evening. Sisterhood is such an amazing ministry. It's divine in every way, and you are famous. I don't know if you know that, but you are famous. I would love right now to acknowledge your table leaders and your campus leader and at all the campuses and all the table leaders. Can we just give the Lord a big thank you, praise you for all of our table leaders, for all the campus sisterhood leaders. We probably never get to see all the things that they do to be able to set this table tonight for all of us to receive what the Lord wants to do in our lives. So I think it's good to honor those that God puts in our path. I get to see a little bit of what they do and how they do it, and it's impressive. And so I just want to honor them in every way. I want to thank Beth Sestak for writing this lesson tonight, lesson four on unity. And I'll just open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we have together in your name. And Lord, I know that you love us uniquely and you love us individually. So even though we are gathered here together to hear one message, we want to hear your spirit to our spirit. Lord, I'm asking for a download. I'm asking, Lord God, for that individual, unique word that you have for each one of us. Whether I say it or not, let it be right from your throne to our spirit so we can be the women of God that you've called us to be so we can walk the way that you have asked us to walk. In Jesus' name, amen. So the theme verse for this lesson number four is from Psalm, the book of Psalms, and it's number 133, verses one through three. To give a little bit of background, each psalm has its own theme. Some are grouped together and some are individual. And this particular one, the theme is the joy of harmonious relationship. The joy of harmonious relationship. In verse 1, it says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Verse 2, It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the head, running down on Aaron's beard, down the collar of his robe. Verse 3, it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessings, even life evermore. What a full picture of the joy the Lord has toward us when we are in unity. I like the picture of this, this particular Psalm, for, and one of the reasons I do, is because what we know about where this psalm is set is in the tabernacle of David. And so David is the king of Israel, and the tabernacle of Moses is going on at Mount Sinai at the same time that the tabernacle of David is going on here. 
And so all the things that we learned about Moses and the animal sacrifices and the way that they worshiped continues to go on. But in David's tabernacle, it is loud. There's dancing. There's prayer. And we have reason to believe from what history tells us that it was going 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So as we approach this particular psalm about unity, it's helpful to get a picture of why unity would be important in the tabernacle of David. You have every kind of instrument that they had available at that time. They had stringed instruments. They had horn instruments. They had percussion. They had worship leaders. Many of the psalms are written by the worship leaders in David's tabernacle. And the king, David, who is famous for disrobing as the Ark of the Covenant is being moved from one area to another, has brought that joy that he has, that praise that he has for the Lord, he's brought it to the tabernacle of David. So the picture of the tabernacle of David helps us to see unity is going to be a very important part of how they are all able to work together. But was the unity because they wanted to have a great worship service? Was the unity because they wanted their service order to go a certain way? Was the unity because they wanted to be able to get in and get out and get it done? Probably not. The unity was because they knew the Lord of hosts, the Lord God Almighty, they knew the one that they were worshiping to. They knew the one that they were giving praise to. They knew the one that they were gathered together for. And their king continued to point to the king. In Romans chapter 15, in verse 1 through 6, I'll read it in a little minute. But the Roman church was a very diverse community. There were people from all kinds of backgrounds. There were Jews together with Gentiles. There were slaves and there were free people. There were ones strong in their faith and weak in their faith. There were men, there were women, there were children. There were government officials, and there, there were ones that were, that were homeless and didn't have a place to go. The Roman church was very diverse. So as Paul's writing to the Romans, he knows what he's saying to these people. He knows what he's imparting to them. It's not a light message that he's saying. It's not just in a word of encouragement. Some of it is encouragement. Some of it is correction. Some of it is direction. And I think it fits for us as believers today. In verse 1, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Verse 2, each of us should please our neighbors for their good. And this is going to be a key theme tonight, to build them up. Not to make them feel good, not to make them feel loved and accepted, to build them up. Those are all good things. But in verse 3, for even Christ did not please himself as it is written, the insults of those who insulted you have fallen on me. Those are the words of Jesus. So the insults that fall on us fall on him. Verse 4, 
For everything that is written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught through the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Verse 5, may the Lord who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Jesus Christ had. To me, if the Lord says it, I can believe it and I should receive it. Verse 6, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's the purpose. There's the focus. That's what unity is about. Right there in verse 6. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it doesn't say anything about agreement, right? It doesn't say anything about we have to be in agreement. It's talking about unity. Sometimes our disagreement helps us to get a place of unity when we're doing what verse 6 says, which is with one mind and one voice, we may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Continuing in 1 Peter. So just to give a little context on 1 Peter, of course you know, because I'm trusting you all read your Bibles, amen, that he's one of the apostles. So when I think about the apostles, I think about the fact that when they first met Jesus, they were followers. At some point, they became believers. At another point, they became disciples. And then they became apostles. So it's not like the first day they met Jesus. It was automatically, you're an apostle, you're an apostle, you're an apostle. No. It was they first followed him. And then they continued to follow him. And they became disciples. And they became apostles. So it starts with that focus on Jesus. So in 1 Peter 3.8, where it says, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, and humble. Like-minded has to do with purpose. Just like we were reading in Romans. It's not about agreement. It's about focus. It's about the going forward. It's that our eyes are heaven-bound together. In Romans 14, 16, it says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. And I like what the NLT says. So then... Let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Try to build each other up. I think sometimes we stop at before the try. Like, I don't think I can build them up, so I'm not going to try. But the command in Romans 14, 19 is try to build it. Let's at least try to build each other up. And I think the harmony goes back to what we saw in Psalm 133. If I'm building someone up, I'm not tearing them down. And ladies, I feel like one of the admonishments that we have as women is we gossip way too much. Which even if the person I'm gossiping about doesn't hear it, 
I'm still tearing them down. And I'm also tearing down the ones that are listening to it with me. We gossip way too much. And a lot of times we cloak it nicely and we put a nice little bow on it. And, you know, let's pray for... So I'll just leave that admonishment and we can all hear from Holy Spirit and what he's saying in it. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2, be completely humble. So do you see the themes here? Humble, building up. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Again, constant theme, bearing with one another in love. And then in verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's our focus again. There's our focus again. So if you're wondering, how does unity fit in my life when there are people I disagree with? How does unity fit in my life when there are ones that I don't like how they do whatever? If there are ones that, you know, I know that we're Christians, but we're at odds with each other. Well, the, the word of the Lord tells us make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. See, if I do it in the name of Jesus, it doesn't matter how I feel. If I'm doing it in the name of Jesus, it doesn't matter what I'm seeing. I'm going to set my feelings aside because I'm focused on the bond of peace. I'm focused on the one who brings it. If we are in harmony with the Holy Spirit, we will build. Rather than dwelling on each other's weaknesses, rather than dwelling on each other's faults, rather than dwelling on each other's differences, rather than dwelling on our prejudices, which sometimes we don't even realize we have, we will build. Living in unity doesn't require agreement. It requires focus. Whether we're in the midst of a trial, some of you right now, I'm imagining, just because I know what it's like to raise kids. I know what it's like to be married. I know what it's like to be single. I know what it's like to have a job. I know what it's like to have plenty. I know what it's like to want. There's chaos. There's challenges. There's a lot that comes at us in a very short period of time. And some of it can all happen at once. Last year, my life was more chaotic than I ever could have imagined. I lost my mom in the same year that I had one of my sisters go in the hospital for six months. I had another sister that was in the middle of a romance scam that she lost $170,000. My, my extended family was in chaos. And at the same time, the Lord challenged me to keep my focus on him, to keep my focus on him, to keep my focus on him, to keep my focus on him. So as believers, one of the things I think we can help ourselves when we're in the middle of the conflict, we're in the middle of the trial, we're in the middle of the chaos, it's just things feel hard and we feel pressed is we can stop. We can stop. There are some times in the day that I just take out my phone and I get out a timer and I set it for five minutes or whatever time I have. Sometimes I have 30 seconds, sometimes I have, and I just Stop. And I think about the one who created the universe. I think about his love. I think about his word. I just stop. Everything else might be 
going on around me. Everything else might be continuing. But when I stop, it's the Lord and me. And I can refocus and I can readjust and I can remember who he is so that I'm not thinking about the circumstances, I'm not thinking about the situation, and I always have a question for him. Lord, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to know? We can stop and seek. We can stop and listen. We can stop and worship. I feel like in Luke 24, there's an example of this. The lead up to Luke 24 is that it's Resurrection Sunday. Only the people involved, and the ones we're going to focus on right now, are a group of women. They don't know it's Resur Resurrection Sunday because all they know is that their Lord is dead. That three days ago, he was hung on a cross, he was crucified, he was taken down from that cross, and he was set in a tomb. That's all they know. They don't know it's Resurrection Sunday. We know it because we're believers. We know it because we celebrate at Easter. We know it because of the word. We know it because of our God. They did not know it. All they knew was they were a group of women who had been following Jesus for a long time, and they were going to the tomb to do what their culture told them to do, which is to take care of the body. And there is chaos all around them. In their families, among the apostles, the ones that they followed the Lord with, there's chaos everywhere. The Roman officials and, and the temple officials, it, there's chaos everywhere. In the midst of mourning, in the midst of grieving, in the midst of probably not knowing what to do and probably not thinking very straight. So here they are. They are on the way to the tomb. Verse 1 of Luke 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They are together, joined together, doing what they know their culture requires. Verse 2. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Verse 3. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. The very thing they came for. They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Verse 4. When, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. I just love to visualize the Bible. I don't know about you. I just love to visualize the Bible. Verse 5. As they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? I don't know about you, but if my friends and I were in that situation and I heard these men in dazzling white say something like that, I think they would have got my attention right away. And I'm pretty sure that there would have been some potential dialogue, which either it's not here or there wasn't any. I don't know. Maybe they were that... Um, amazed. In verse 6, they go on to say, he is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, 
verse 7, that the Son of God must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified on the third day, and on the third day rise. Verse 6, and they remembered his words. Sometimes we need to just stop. We need to remember and remind ourselves who he is and why we are doing what we are doing in this life, in our families, in our homes, together as at our tables. We need to just stop and remember his words. I'm going to close in prayer and believe that Holy Spirit will do what he loves to do. Lord, when we are about the kingdom, we will be kingdom-minded. When we are about your word, because of the word that your work, because of the work that your word does, we will be saturated. We will have your hand on our lives. When we are about your business, we won't have time for anything else. When we are about your business, we will build where you want us to build. We will restore where you want us to restore. We will be the women of God you want us to be. We will walk the way you want us to walk. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you. There is no greater focus. There is no better focus. And Lord, if we have put something between us and you, help us. Help us. You will never stand for anything between us and you. You will only help us to get to you, to get back to you, to do whatever we need to be the women of God that you have called us to be. Lord, we love you and we bless you as we have our time at our tables tonight. Help us to realize that you have a plan, you have a strategy, you want to be in constant dialogue with us. Help us to receive you in Jesus' name. Amen.